You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 461 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Colleen Leonard has been working in tech since 2015, first as a front-end developer and then as a recruiter. She is currently a technical recruiter at Test Double, a software engineering consultancy whose mission is to improve the way the world builds software. Her biggest motivator in her work is connecting people to the jobs that help them grow and thrive. She's also a serial hobbyist who spends much of her free time hiking, roller skating, and trying out various forms of arts and crafts. And her latest endeavor is pottery. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Colleen. Thank you for having me, Brittany. I really appreciate it. And it sounds like this might not be your first time recording over audio. Is that true? It is true. I used to work in college radio, but it is my first podcast. And so I'm very thrilled to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, this is going to be a bit of a different episode. So this is an episode that's going to be divided into two parts. And listeners, it's going to be a fun one. So I recommend putting your helmets on and tuning in. So Colleen, what is your developer origin story? I don't even know where to begin with this question. Like so many other people, I had this great privilege of growing up around computers. My parents owned a small agricultural newspaper, so they needed computers for their work. And I just had this very early introduction to computers. And I was always very fascinated about how they worked. Throughout my time in school, I never really thought that coding would be something I could do. Programming was never something that I felt like I could do. I went to a really rural school district. We didn't really have computer classes or anything like that. And I was not good at math. So I had this thought that if you were bad at math, right, you could not be an engineer. So when I went to college, I was able to take one single programming class and it was Visual Basic. I didn't particularly enjoy it. All I really managed to do that I could remember is that I made a lot of pop-up messages come up over and over again. That's when I knew that I should just be a front-end developer right there. <laughs> Definitely knew the future of front-end development. But it wasn't until after college, after I graduated with a degree in communications and broadcasting, and I was working two jobs that I started kind of finding out that you could take coding classes online. So between my two jobs, I'd get back home from my day job and then bartending at night. And I was trying to learn coding on the side, taking the free online coding classes. And I just decided eventually to enroll in a coding boot camp called the Iron Yard here in Durham, North Carolina. I enrolled in their front-end engineering course because I really liked the kind of design aspect of everything and was really drawn to that aspect. In 90 days, I had taken the boot camp and I was hired by an advertising agency right afterwards. So I worked at ad agencies throughout the remainder of my career as a developer. And my kind of sweet spot was SVG animation. I really loved that aspect of my work. So that's kind of my very long-winded endeavor into becoming a developer. I love that. So on to the next section. And this is something that I stole from your LinkedIn profile. And that is you are self-proclaimed web developer turned recruiter. And so this origin story in particular is fascinating to me. So I'm excited to hear about the switch that you made. Yeah, it's funny. So I'm obviously no stranger to career changes, already changed careers into becoming a web developer. And it's just funny to me, people don't naturally think of someone going from being a web developer to a recruiter. More often, you'll hear someone maybe going from being a recruiter to a developer. So it is kind of funny that there's that change there, that shift that people make. But 
one of my first interviews, funnily enough, like after I graduated from my boot camp, I was walking out the door and the recruiter that I had just interviewed with said, would you ever consider becoming a recruiter? And I said, no way. I want to be a developer. That's why I did this boot camp. I really enjoy writing code. And it's just kind of funny how now I'm a recruiter. But really what made that change was the 2020 pandemic turndown. I found myself becoming a lot more engaged in helping other people find jobs and making career changes and encouraging them and looking through resumes with them and really just working with a lot of people in my community that were struggling through those layoffs and really enjoyed that work and found myself very connected to that work and becoming less connected to my work as a developer and less engaged with that work. I really resisted at first because I think we've all kind of had those experiences with recruiters from time to time where there's a bit of a stigma with recruiters. So I was very resistant to this at first, but she figured out that it was really the environment that was important for recruiting, right? Because some places really put numbers and the number of messages and I guess overall just numbers is the best way I can put it over actual people. The people don't come first in that work. And I knew that if I found somewhere that really valued the people above all else, that I would be really aligned with that and found myself applying for a technical recruiter role at Test Double and interviewing and talking through what my perspective as a developer could do in a recruitment role of having that empathy and knowing exactly what the developer mindset is for recruitment. So in 2021, I joined Testable as a recruiter and I've been very happy ever since. I love it because it just teaches you a good lesson. And that is if you are working with other people around you and you see that they have a unique talent or potential to be something, say something. No one's going to take offense over that. So say that I am very determined to be an individual contributor. Like my goal is to be an architect. If someone were to come to me and say, hey, I think that you might have some skills that would lend well to being a manager, like no one's going to be offended by that. I love the idea that someone mentioned to you, hey, would it ever occur to you to be a recruiter? Because you probably never considered it before. So it was a really good lesson, I think, in terms of just being open minded about which way your career is going to take you. And I think just in general, just staying open minded too. Our careers can take us into so many different directions and the possibilities are truly endless. And yeah, just having that open mind of being okay with where life takes you is also super important. I see that so much in my work. It seems like a lot of people I talk to that are developers and engineers, they all have this kind of wild story for the most part of how they became engineers. And I just love all those stories. I agree. If you want to see a career that has taken a straight path from beginning to end, listeners, don't look at my LinkedIn. That is not (laughs) going to be the place to go. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. (laughs) So, Colleen, what has been the biggest surprise in actually making that switch? So the biggest surprise by far has been the Ruby on Rails community. I had no idea how welcoming and awesome this community was. And I was very nervous to make this switch. I was really worried people would be very suspicious of me as a recruiter. And there's a very good reason with that because recruiters do have this reputation and are kind of notorious for not really putting people or the community first and kind of just burning through all of these potential connections they can make with people. And so I remember my first kind of dive into the Ruby community was attending RubyConf in 2021. And I was just so nervous that 
I would be trying to talk to people and people would just treat me, you know, like, oh, you're a recruiter. I can't talk to you. And it was the opposite. People would bring me into conversations. People were so open and just great to connect with and so exciting. And I just really love the Ruby on Rails community. And that was the biggest surprise to me because that's not something that I had experienced being a front-end developer. There's not really as much of a community around JavaScript as an example. So the community has just been a wonderful surprise. Yeah, anecdotally, so I manage both Rubyists and JavaScript developers. And I am really shocked this year how little JavaScript conferences are out there. It really seems like we're having a surge in the Ruby and Rails community and the communities just feel very different. So I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I am curious, what is a day in the life for you currently? It really varies. And it's certainly a lot different than the day in the life of a developer. But I spend a lot of time sourcing. So that's kind of my number one goal. And by sourcing, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on GitHub, I'm on Twitter, I'm looking for people that might be looking for roles, people that fit what I'm looking for, and really just continuing to build that community with people as well. So every time I send someone a message, I don't expect them to join Testable, but maybe they might know someone that is looking for a job and I can help them in that way. So that's a big part of my job. And then, of course, I spend a lot of time speaking with candidates and getting a better sense of what people are looking for in their next role and seeing if I either have a role for them here at Testable or maybe one of our clients does as well. So that's a big part of the work. And then just helping people through the interview process. At Testable, I serve as a bridge agent. What that really means is that I serve as an advocate for our candidates as they're interviewing with our qualification team and making sure that their questions are answered and that they know what to expect and that I can help them make accommodations that they need throughout the interview process. So that's another big part of my job is really just serving as an advocate for people that are interviewing with us and making sure that they have a smooth process. And then there's a lot of other smaller, well, not smaller things, but just things that shift throughout my time. So I could be helping with making broader goals for hiring at Testable, or maybe I'm attending a conference to continue building up our community there as well. So there are a lot of other initiatives that I help with. The day-to-day can be very different, but that's kind of what an average day would look like. This episode is brought to you by Miro. Here's the thing, you've got the idea, but there's the small matter of actually bringing your code to life in the most seamless way, letting the world see it. Without the hassle of coordinating with decision makers and other teams, without creating double the work, you know, all the things that get in the way. That's where Miro's collaborative whiteboard platform makes your life as a developer easier. Whether it's agile planning, scrum events, or technical diagramming, Miro is built for engineering workflows like yours. Miro also has integrations with tools you probably already use, like Jira, Azure, and Rally. Import tasks for them as native cards to see the big picture. In Miro, you can create user story maps, prioritize your backlog, or organize tasks into sprints using customizable Kanban boards. Or browse through a whopping 300-plus expert-built templates to get you started for any project. Identifying dependencies is also incredibly easy and intuitive when you can organize all your project tasks and resources on one Miro board. Head on over to miro.com ruby that's M-I-R-O dot com slash Ruby to check out the Ruby on Rails podcast community board in action. Get to know us, the co-hosts, 
play some games and leave feedback on this podcast episode with sticky notes, comments, reactions, and more. That's Miro.com slash Ruby. So you mentioned earlier that there can be stigma around recruiters, and we've talked about this many times on the show. So I kind of want to dive into the secret sauce territory. How do you craft the perfect message to a developer, especially for a Rubyist? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really don't think there's a such thing as a perfect message. I'm personally always evolving my messages. I'm constantly adjusting and updating them based on their open rates and the reply rates and the feedback that I get. I get such great feedback from particularly Ruby on Rails engineers. And I just love that because it tells me that how much care people have in, yet again, the community around Ruby on Rails. But the more specific and personalized the messages, the better. I really do look through everyone's LinkedIn. If they have a GitHub, I go and look at their GitHub. If they have a portfolio, I look at their website. I really read as much as I can about someone before I send them a message. And I just want to make sure that what I'm sending them is worth their time or something that they have an interest in first. And I want to show that I have an interest in what they do because I do think it's great. I love that people have all these side projects. I love seeing their open source work. And I just want to connect with them over that because I just think that is really cool. So just really tapping into what excites people and connecting with them over it, which is extremely genuine to me. And it's just interesting in their stories and learning from them and just having that connection with them. But I think just connecting with people over what is a genuine interest to them and also to me is what makes a great message. I guess that's why I'm drawn to the Ruby on Rails community because there's so much passion in the work I do and connecting with people in the work they do. Well, my understanding too is you're looking for roles that are very specific. Like you have a high standard for test double and the clients that you're recruiting for. So like mass campaigns on LinkedIn is probably not the T for you. You are like doing the work, you're doing the investigation. You were learning about that person before you send that message. Is that fair? That is totally fair. And just as someone that's been on the other side, I know that I've received a lot of messages as a developer that had nothing to do with my LinkedIn. I would get messages for senior Python roles and I didn't even have Python on my LinkedIn or GitHub. So I really just, I know how many emails people get every day that are engineers and it's just very overwhelming. So I want to make sure that I'm doing right by the people I'm messaging as well as best as I can. So listeners have heard from Brian Mariani on his opinions around Rails recruitment. We actually just published the episode today, State of Rails Hiring for 2023. But I'm curious, Colleen, how has 2023 been for you so far? Because it is kind of a weird market. Yes, for sure. Well, I don't have a lot to compare it to because I did start recruiting in 2021. So the economy has been such a wild ride ever since. I mean, 2022 was like a hiring frenzy. It was really wild. And then things kind of slowed down a little bit towards the end of the year there. And I guess the only adjective I have so far for 2023 is that it's interesting. So Testable is a consultancy. Our hiring trends are a little different than a typical product company or startup. And we're trying to kind of keep things consistent throughout 2023. So we're anticipating personally on the test double side that things will likely pick up. One of the things that happens when there are a lot of layoffs at startups and product companies is that consulting work tends to pick up. That's something that we are certainly anticipating. But I really feel like personally that 2023 could go anyway. I truly hope that the layoffs do kind of slow down though, because that is 
has been really awful to see and not being able to hire everyone is also a bit of a bummer. Other than that, I really don't have too much feedback since it's only March, but it's certainly a wild ride out there. Awesome. Well, as we are getting closer to RailsConf, listeners, you're going to hear this as a recurring question to every guest that I have on the show. But Colleen, will we see you at RailsConf? Yes, of course. So I'm actually playing roller derby in South Carolina that weekend. So I figured I was only two hours away from Atlanta. I might as well stop by. But Test Double is having office hours. We will be doing office hours on Tuesday, April 25th from 1230 to 1.30. And Wednesday, April 26th from 1230 to 130 in room 204A. So our consultants partner with developers at clients like GitHub and Gusto to solve hard problems and have fun doing it. We want to share that experience with everyone. So join us at the Double Up Lab to pair with one of our agents and write some Ruby. Feel free to bring something to work on, check out what we've been up to and just recharge and chat. So it's a really good place to kind of hang out if you have something that maybe... You were just in a session that you were trying to learn something new and you're still kind of struggling to get through it. We're happy to walk through things and pair with you on that. So really interesting and fun opportunity to hang out with the Test Double crew. So I'll be there. Wonderful. Well, that is the perfect lead in to part two. Part one is over. And now we're moving on to part two of the interview, which is roller derby. America's finest sports spectacle, the roller derby. So listeners know that I used to play roller derby pre-pandemic under the name Norma Skates. I absolutely loved it. I gave a conference talk on it and I was even president of my league. However, I got burned out. And so I retired during the pandemic and tried other sports to see if they would gel. And spoiler, they didn't. So I have returned to playing roller derby with a different league under the name that everyone said not to use because it was too niche. Merge Conflict. My attitude for 2023 and for returning to Roller Derby is that I'm doing this for me. No questions asked. So Colleen, we're going to come back to you. What is your Roller Derby origin story? I love Merge Conflict, first of all. Love that. So my derby name is currently CC Later. I also changed my name. It used to be Critical Erin. And that was also a very niche name that I always had to explain, but it was based on Critical Error. Yes, I definitely have been there before, but I just love that we have a very similar kind of derby background. So very similar to you, I played roller derby for a number of years. I played for about six-ish years and I had been with two leagues prior to the pandemic. So I started with Rodeo City Roller Derby in Washington State and that team, I was an original member of that team and helped build that team up. And then I played with Carolina Roller Derby in Raleigh, North Carolina, and competed on their travel team. So about six years between those two teams and also got burnt out. Very easy to do in Roller Derby. There are a lot of different things that people end up doing, and it can be a huge burden sometimes time-wise. So it took some time. And during the pandemic, decided that I was going to return to Derby when Back to Play became a thing. So rejoined, changed my name. And yeah, I've been skating with Greensboro Roller Derby in Greensboro, North Carolina since last year. That is awesome. So we are going to play a game right now. It's a tricky game because we're doing this over a podcast. But we're going to take on the difficult challenge of trying to explain how Roller Derby works over an audio format. So, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Best it's game so ever. It's so hard. It really is hard. 
So I'm going to chicken out, Colleen. I'm going to have you go first. And just like in a couple sentences, try to explain to an average listener who has no idea how roller derby works, you know, how it works. So to start with, roller derby is played on an oval shaped track. There are five people on each team on the track at a time four blockers and one jammer. The jammer wears a star on their helmet and they are the point makers. So they are trying to get through the other people, the blockers, and they score points for each blocker on the other team that they pass. I'm gonna take a moment to tell you all about Honey Badger's cron job and heartbeat monitoring. How important are cron jobs to your business? For me, they are absolutely mission critical. Honey Badger monitors your cron jobs and services to make sure that they don't silently disappear. When Honey Badger is quiet, life is good. Have you ever considered implementing heartbeat monitoring? Honey Badger also makes that incredibly simple as well. Honey Badger gives you a URL, then you call the URL. If Honey Badger stops hearing from you within the configured time period, they're gonna go ahead and alert you. Honey Badger just keeps adding more and more tooling that all developers need. To dive into all of this, head on over to honeybadger.io. So here is my shot. So you know how most of our listeners like to watch games like football and basketball. Roller derby is similar in that there is a ball to watch. But in the case of roller derby, the ball is a human. The human is called a jammer and they have a helmet cover. So each team staffs five players on each side And your human ball, a.k.a. the jammer's goal is to get around the track as many times as possible. And the four teammates on the other side are basically trying to prevent that from happening. Now, there is one special blocker. So those four players are called blockers. There is one special blocker called a pivot. And they have the ability to take the star helmet comer from the jammer and become the jammer. That can only happen once per jam. Jams are two minutes long. And if you are a fan of hit workouts, that is what roller derby is. It's very aggressive and fast, but it is not an endurance sport. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I think another big aspect of it is that because blockers are simultaneously trying to get their jammer out while blocking the other jammer There's just a lot of strategy happening where you're simultaneously playing offense and defense. And it can look very chaotic to someone new to roller derby. But I promise we are running plays. We are doing the things we're supposed to for the most part. I totally agree. And I agree that there are layers of rules in order to enjoy the game. As long as you go into your first roller derby game and you're like, hey, I understand who the jammer is. I understand who the blockers are. And basically the jammer is trying to go around as many times as possible. You can enjoy the game at that depth. There are a lot of complicated rules that come into play. So once you get into it, it gets really exciting. But it's kind of similar to football in that way. I barely understand how to watch football, but I've been told many times that there are complicated rules to football that you can really get into it. And roller derby in that way can be that way as well. I think my favorite thing about roller derby, well, there's many favorite things, but that there is men's roller derby, but women's roller derby is far more popular. And that is very unusual for a sport. And so it is one of my favorite things. And There are people who wouldn't even consider playing roller derby just because they're not comfortable on skates. And I was one of those people at first, too. But it's amazing that like once you focus in on the sport, how good you actually eventually get at skating. Yeah, it becomes almost like you don't have skates on your feet at all. 
because you're so focused on the actual game that you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I do have wheels on my feet right now. But yeah, that's definitely the first big hurdle, right? If when people start learning how to play roller derby, they have to clearly learn how to skate. And that's the biggest hurdle, I would say, to get to actual gameplay. Totally agreed. So now that we've gone over the different roles that we know what a jammer is, we know what a pivot is, we know what a blocker is. What position do you normally play, Colleen? So since I've had a long, drawn-out career, I've played every position. So when I started playing roller derby, I was primarily a jammer because the game was very fast at the time. The rules have changed since I started in 2010. So it used to be way easier, in my opinion, to be a jammer because all you would have to do is be really fast and avoid getting hit. But the game has slowed down quite a bit and there's a lot more pushing of the walls. And I'm sorry, I'm getting very technical here for the non derby folks but we're just trying to lure them in colleen so it's fine (laughs) but there's a lot more pushing involved and can be harder to get out from behind the blockers now so i've gotten older and maybe potentially lazier since i first started playing now i primarily play as a blocker and a pivot so that's normally the position i play i'm usually in the very front as kind of the person who skates backwards to hold the walls in place as a pivot colleen we're pivot sisters i (laughs) I am a hardcore pivot i love being the pivot backwards skating is my absolute jam my sister was a referee for many years and so I would be the referee who was backwards a lot whenever I would ref with her and I got really comfortable backwards skating. And so I also believe too, this kind of relates to my career as well, the pivot typically tends to be the person who's bracing the other blockers from the impact of the jammer trying to get through. And I like to be the brace like in life as an engineering manager, I like to be the brace. (laughs) And there's also this thing where when the jam starts, the jammer is trying to get around as many times as possible. And like we talked about, you can take the helmet cover off and give it to the pivot. And so the pivot is kind of like bailing out the jammer and saying like, hey, like, let me take over. Let me do this work for you. And that's also my vibe. I love that because you're trying to save the situation as opposed to trying to win the situation. And that is just very much my vibe. Absolutely. I truly view the pivot as kind of a Swiss army knife, right? You can play every position. You're typically as a pivot, someone that is tasked with playing offense. So not all the time, but that's just generally the kind of not the louder person, but definitely the more strategy driven person on the track as well. Not always, as I said, but very typically the person that is Looking at what's going on, calling out the plays and really just being involved in how the group works. So I just love that you were able to connect that with your role as an engineering manager, because that makes perfect sense. I love that. So I have to ask, what is the best roller derby name you've ever heard? Oh, my gosh. I've seen so many great ones over the years. But the one that stuck out to me the most that I could really remember is Yoko. Oh, no, you didn't from Rat City. I doubt that they still play roller derby, but when I was first getting involved in roller derby, that was someone that I loved that name. I thought that was the best name I'd ever heard. So I'm sure there have been many others. I love Merge Conflict as an example. Also a great name. What about you? I love your name as well. So when I played for Youngstown, we had a very talented jammer named Sarah Problem Officer. 
I, when you say it quickly, it is so funny. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because for short, we would just call her Sarah because that was her real name. But I just I loved when people got that look on their face where it dawned on them what it meant. <laughs> so you've recently started coaching. What led to that decision? Kind of a necessity thing. So I joined Greensboro Roller Derby this past year in 2022 when they were returning to play. And definitely like a lot of leagues out there, they're rebuilding right now. So a lot of leagues struggled through the pandemic. People moved and there's been a really big rebuilding period. I would say for most leagues, you're a pretty lucky league if that's not something you're going through right now. So definitely needed someone to come in and be part of the training committee. So a few of us that had transferred into the league had joined training and I had never really been a coach before. Actually, both the other two leagues that I had skated with had non-skating coaches. So this was my first league to join where the coaches are also skaters, which can have a whole host of kind of new and interesting situations. So that's been a really big learning thing for me is just doing right by my skaters. So I kind of do tie a lot to the work that I do as a recruiter of I'm trying to make the right decisions at all times for the skaters. And I want to make sure that I'm at my best as a coach so that they can be their best. So I kind of found myself in coaching, didn't really expect to be a coach, but have really enjoyed the journey and really just watching my league and the skaters in the league improve over time has been such a rewarding thing to see. And I'm just really excited for this season and to see how everyone does. I think that's incredibly badass of you. I'm in that situation where I joined the league this year again, a new league. And so I'm part of the batch of the people that are returning after a couple years off. But I'm also with the crew of the people that are brand new to roller derby. And so I give coaches a lot of credit because you're dealing with people that are very experienced, people that have temporarily retired and they're coming back and people that got into trail skating during the pandemic realized that they could roller skate. And now they're just super eager to join roller derby. So it's just there's been a lot of enthusiasm across the community and it's definitely going to be a challenge for coaches. That's exactly it. I mean, we have a huge kind of gamut of skill sets, which is something I love about roller derby, right, is that it's very lenient to different skill sets. There's kind of a position for you in roller derby and people are just going to naturally be good at some things and not as much at others in roller derby. So there's kind of a place for everyone. And it's been really interesting to see trying to get people that are just now learning roller derby into playing roller derby and making sure that the people that have been playing derby for a long time are being challenged and just getting us to work together cohesively as a group. And I think that's such a unique and fun challenge. Why do you think we see so many software developers play roller derby? Oh, definitely because of the strategy. And just in general, there are a lot of smart people that play roller derby. I've skated with lawyers and I've skated with executives and all these other kind of high level, intelligent people. Roller derby has a lot of steps to work through. So each time you're looking at doing a play. There are all these steps. And I think that's really connected to the engineering brain of breaking things down into steps. Okay, first I need to be here, but why do I need to be here? We have an engineering manager on the team right now. And I always say that I can tell that they're using their engineering brain because they're trying to break down something and they're asking the whys. Why are we doing this? And 
Can you break it down for me? And I just love working with developers as Roller Derby players because I think the same way. What about you? Yeah, for the record, listeners, Colleen had a much better answer than I did because my <laughs> answer was going to be that you can break your legs and still, <laughs> still right. That those. also, I mean, that's also fair. <laughs> and roller derby, not a cheap sport to engage in if you want to do it right. If you want to wear the right protective equipment, it's very different than playing basketball. With basketball, you need a hoop and some good shoes and a ball. With roller derby, you need a lot of equipment to do it correctly. And so it tends to be more of an expensive sport. Engineers typically are paid pretty well. So I see some in there. And I also agree with you on the strategy. Like, I completely agree there. Initially, when you asked me this question, I immediately went to well, sometimes working on bugs and software in general is very frustrating. And sometimes you just have to get that frustration out. So that's another potential option. We'll have to pull the group, all the software developers who play roller derby. We'll look out for the poll on Macedon or Twitter. I love that. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on today and indulging in both answering all my technical recruitment questions. And of course, getting to talk about roller derby with another person in tech is just very exciting for me. So how can listeners follow you? I still need to get on Mastodon. I have not done that yet. My ADHD brain can only do so much in a week and it's been months and I still haven't joined. But you can find me on Twitter at underscore Colleen Leonard or you can find me on LinkedIn at Colleen Carol Leonard. And yeah, those are kind of the two primary places that I'm at. So you can find me there anytime. And then, of course, at RailsConf. So hope to see you all there. Wonderful. Well, I will see you at RailsConf and maybe one day I'll see you on the track. It's been a pleasure. Yes, it'd be great to play sometime. Thank you so much, Brittany. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.